Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. My mom kept me safe with a text code. She just used it. Written by Katarinera. My mom was my whole world when I was growing up. When I was seven, my father left my mom and me after she found him having an open affair with a co-worker. He beat her up for having the audacity to leave him, but she got the house and scrubbed him from our lives. She decided that she would focus on herself and taking care of other women. So she worked for lots of women shelters and such. She eventually became a court counselor and a social worker for abused women and children. And she really helped people get out of abusive situations. She understood that the world isn't always kind to women. Being the amazing woman she was, she knew growing up as a girl is already hard. So we had safety codes and phrases built in to keep me safe. She also had a special rule that if I was in trouble, I could call her or text her in our special way and she would come get me, no questions asked and no consequences. That way, if I was in trouble, I could call her without fear of her reaction or punishment. She told me that she understood being a teen means making choices of your own. And sometimes, those are really stupid choices. But they shouldn't cost me my innocence. She cared first and foremost for my safety. When I was 11, I went on my first sleepover and I just wasn't comfortable. I wanted to go home, but I didn't want my friend's feelings to get hurt. Our code was two punctuation marks. If I used two of any punctuation at the end, that meant that I needed help or wanted to leave, but didn't want a person near me to know. Me, hey mom, with two exclamation marks on the end. Mom, hey, your uncle just called and I might need to come get you. Can you tell your friend you have to leave? Me, do I have to? Two question marks. Mom, yes, please pack up. That way, I saved face and could blame my mom. I did use it from time to time, but it was rare. I knew I always had that safety net growing up. Though, I was pretty safe in all the area we lived in. It was a small town on the outskirts of a college town, and I was advanced for my age. 
So, most of my friends were the kids my mom was always around with the shelters. And they were pretty laid back kids for the most part. I also hung around the shelters. And the woman would always talk to me like I was grown. Which was nice, considering I was closer in age to half of them than my mom was. I didn't hang out with any rebellious kids. Never really did anything stupid enough to be noted. Until college. When I started college two years earlier, I realized really quickly how safe my little town was. I was graduating early and only 16, but the college I went to was the one right next to our town, and I could live at home and drive to campus and such. I had gotten drunk a small handful of times, but my friends and I were always safe and didn't drive. My first frat party was a lot. I'd never seen so many drunk people doing such crazy stuff. It was exhilarating, but also really overwhelming. I ended up finding a quiet corner with a few people chilling. I struck up a conversation with a cute guy and he offered to get me a drink. I know, dumb naive girl. I didn't think twice and drank the drink. About 10 minutes later, I started feeling really strange and went to the bathroom. I had my phone in my hand while I heard Mr. Polite knocking on the door. But I could barely see my screen as I texted my mom. Me. I'm at Street Redacted. Can I stay a little past curfew? Two question marks. Mom. Absolutely not. I'm coming to pick you up right now, young lady. Me. Two exclamation marks. It was all I could see to press. In my rapidly blurring state. Before the guy managed to get the door open. And help me out of the bathroom. He checked my phone. Saw the messages my mom sent. And with a snide huff. Called me a worthless baby. Kicked me in the thigh and left me sitting in the hallway all alone. I know for a fact that my mom got me out of a horrible situation that night. Part of our code was, if we included an address, it was an emergency. An address meant danger. She had burnt that into my memory. Know the address, write it down, copy it as a memo on your phone, anything. So, I memorized addresses before I went to parties. And she saved me that night. She didn't get mad that I was drinking, or somewhere she had warned me against going. She was just so worried about me and wanted me to be okay. That night, she took me to the hospital 
and they put me on Celine and something else to help flush the drug out of my system. I just remember mom sitting by my bed, looking relieved but still sort of worried. I didn't realize how dangerous that situation could have gotten, but she did. Beyond that, I don't remember ever needing the code. She talked to me and told me the hard truths of being a woman, a young woman, in today's world after I sobered up. And I've been very careful ever since. Last month, my mom passed away of a fatal heart attack. She had always had a weak heart, and she was saving up money to get a pacemaker, but it just didn't happen fast enough. I was completely devastated. I thought of my mom as a permanent fixture in my life. The rock that was always keeping me grounded and safe. She was immortal in my eyes. and I didn't know what I was going to do. How I was going to move on with my life without my confidant. My protector. I just didn't know what to do. When I opened her door and... She just wasn't there. I just cried. Knowing she wouldn't ever be there again was just so horrible. I texted her phone and it rang on the table. I looked at it and wanted to throw it across the room. But I would never do that. Could never do that. She loved that damn phone. She loved being able to have her pictures and music all together and play her phone games. She would sit and watch short films and funny videos for hours after she should be sleeping. It was her guilty pleasure, that phone. And that's when the thought struck me. I remembered the funeral director told me that I could place items in her casket that were important to her and I decided then and there I could clone her phone and my computer to save all her data and pictures and I would give her the phone I loved the idea of her playing her phone games and laughing at videos in the afterlife the thought made me smile and took a sliver of the grief away I knew it was silly and I didn't know how long her cell phone bill was paid up for. But I just couldn't stop thinking about how fitting it would be. She always did joke about coming back to haunt me. Just to play her games and watch videos. So why not give her something to tie her over. Until she sorted out how to haunt me to get her fix. Her funeral was sad. But lovely. She was surrounded in her favorite flowers, tiger lilies, and birds of paradise. Woman after woman came up to me and told me how much of a difference my mom made in their lives. I thought of all the lives she had touched and all the people she helped throughout her life. 
despite my grief, I couldn't help but to be proud of my mom and proud to be her daughter. Getting home after the wake and more condolences, I finally sat down on my mom's couch and turned to my ringer on for the first time since I left for the funeral. Immediately, I got a missed text notification. Mom, I love you too, dot dot. I stared at my phone. The text I had sent her the day she died was there right before it, so I knew it wasn't a spoof number. I thought for a minute that this was some sort of prank, but I couldn't figure out who would do something like this. I decided to assume that it was a friend of my mom's who maybe shared her number. Me, please don't text me from this number. This is my mom's number and she just passed away. I waited and I saw the dot 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 of typing. My heart was in my throat as I waited to get a text back from whoever was using my mom's phone number. Mom, I'm at redacted location. Can you come visit me? Two question marks. My heart froze in my chest. I hadn't noticed on the first message. I was too freaked out. There was two periods. I reread the second message. That was the cemetery's location with two question marks. She had to have been buried alive. I called the funeral director and begged him to meet me back at the plot. Something was wrong. He swore up and down that she couldn't be alive. They didn't do an autopsy, but she was dead. I just cried and begged and showed him the text messages until he finally agreed to meet me and help me find out what was going on. I put that phone in my mother's casket myself before they sealed it down and lowered it down. Nobody has that phone but her. Finally convinced that nothing would soothe my panicked cry, he called an emergency exhumation. The ground was still freshly filled in, so getting her dug up was fast and easy. They opened her casket, and her phone was in her hand, rather than in the purse at her side I had put it in. On her screen was an unsent message to me. Mom, under me, dot dot. That was the day they found the first body. Teenage girls had been disappearing over the years at a slightly raised rate for the last six years or so. But most were assumed to be runaways and ignored. Families had begged for the police to look for their children, but it fell on deaf ears. It turns out 
the cemetery caretaker would stake out grieving families. He was stalking the girls and would then kidnap them when they were coming home from school. He would kill them and bury them under fresh graves before putting in the casket and filling them in, hiding all the evidence of his crimes in plain sight. After finding his map and his souvenirs, they were able to give closure to 27 families. To me, the most chilling evidence they found that a detective reluctantly showed me at my insistence. It was a collection of pictures of my mom's funeral where my 13-year-old niece's pictures had been circled. I know you guys are going to ask, so I'll tell you. I did get one last text from my mom. It was a week after all the media calmed down and I was able to return to my grief. It's hard to grieve when people are questioning you about everything and calling you a hero. I knew I wasn't, but they just didn't want to listen to my story. They just assumed that I saw something before they lowered my mom's casket down. So after I finally got a chance to sit down and be alone, I put on one of my mom's favorite horror movies and texted her one last time. I didn't expect anything supernatural. I just felt like it would give me a little closure. Me. I love you, Mom. I miss you so much. I hope you are happy wherever you are now. I set my phone down and wiped away the tears that were flowing freely. This movie was still as good as the first time she showed it to me. And it's deep to feel these emotions. I was genuinely startled when I got a text message from my mom. Mom, I love you too, honey. And I am. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. My husband just got married. His new wife is a little strange. Written by Calfred. Trigger warnings. This story involves self-harm and acts of miscarriages. I am number three. Well, technically number four. Because Juliet was a wife once before she slid her wrists in the old shed behind the house and filled the wheelbarrow with her blood. 
We don't like to talk about it. Hell, I hardly knew her. Roland and I had only just been engaged when she did the deed. Rumor has it that he dumped the blood out the wheelbarrow into the river, hosed it down, and tucked it back in the shed for another day. It was a casual affair, as suicides go. We bowed our heads and blessed her grave, and continued on, the three of us and Roland. Madeline is the first wife. I can see why Roland picked her first. Her voice sends a shiver down my spine, but in a good type of way, like warm caramel falling from her lips with every syllable. She's tall and lean, and her long auburn hair spills over her shoulders and touches her waist like a waterfall. We just found out that she's pregnant. Roland is pleased. Penelope is the second. She's a bit angry and brash, but she's a talented seamstress and one hell of a cook. She's short and fit and always on the move. The constant boiling pot on the verge of spilling over as she busies herself with chores and cooking and cleaning and yard work and anything else she can get her hands on. Roland looks fondly upon her, dubbed her as his worker bee. I have a sneaking suspicion that Penny does these things to avoid contact with our husband, but I don't want to tell Roland that. And there's me. I'm Annette. I'm not beautiful like Madeline or a jack-of-all-trades like Penny. And in anticlimactic sort of fashion, Roland wed me because I can play the piano. And he likes to listen to a song or two as he falls asleep. This makes Penny laugh. She calls him a baby listening to nursery rhymes behind his back. It makes me laugh too. But every time my fingers touch the keys, I curse my childhood self for taking an interest in the arts. Polygamy is the norm where I come from. If this was just about our day-to-day adventures, this wouldn't be much of a story, and certainly not a scary one. Unless you count Roland's god-awful greasy beard and unspoken foot fetish frightening, which is fair in all honesty. The plot lies in wife number four. Uh, technically five. It's no secret why Roland chose to marry Xenia. It's because she's an enigma, a puzzle to be solved. And a man like Roland can let no woman deceive him. I think he has this weird fantasy of taming a broken woman. Like some kind of hero or knight. Free her from her demons by slipping a ring on her finger. Xenia arrived in our town months ago. And by God, was she a sight to behold. 
caked in mud and murk and God knows what else, stumbling on two unsteady feet. I was home that day and had not seen her myself, but I heard so many recounts of the affair that I might as well have. Long red hair encrusted with mud, one left shoe, right foot bare, blue dress with pockets filled with stones. They gave her shelter in the inn, and that's when we learned. My name is Xenia. Someone's out to get me. And that's all she said about herself, despite ample questioning. She never left the inn. She never asked to stay. She just did. And now, in a manner unbeknownst to me, she is part of the community, part of our sisterhood. Roland got her hand in marriage because Roland's old. That's pretty much it. Penny rolled her eyes when he told us, elbowed me hard in the ribs and whispered, If I was her, I'd surrender to that mysterious someone. Better than being married to him. Xenia's been living here for a couple of weeks now, and she has some strange habits from what Penny and I have noticed. She paces back and forth in her bedroom at night at a steady and even pace, only the floorboards of the old house giving her away. While she looks like a princess, she eats like a pig, scarfing down every morsel like it's her last, licking each finger clean upon completion. And she has a nasty habit of tearing at her cuticles until they bleed, just watching it happen. Xenia takes forever in the bathroom, just weird things. Things I know Roland is mad that his armchair psychologist's mind can't figure out. Hey! I knock on her door and tip my head against the wood. Dinner's ready. Are you hungry? Xenia's voice is soft. Come in. All right. I wasn't asking to, but okay. I open the door and enter the bedroom. The smell hits me almost instantly. Something like spoiled fruit. Spoiled fruit, and oddly enough, copper. It's there, but not appalling, so I'm able to hide my surprise. Hey, Xenia, how how are you? Xenia looks at me. You don't need to be afraid of me, Annette. I feel the heat rise to my cheeks. Oh, no, I'm not. Don't lie. I mean, before I know it, I'm moving to sit next to her. You're a bit mysterious, that's all. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I shrug. Just a thing. 
And that, Xenia starts, smoothing out her skirt with the palms of her hands. Do you like being married to Roland? I swallow hard. I've never been asked that question. Questions similar, but never so blunt. I go to answer, but there are rocks in my throat. I, I guess. You guess? Yeah, I, I guess. What if I told you, Xenia draws, that there is a way out of this? One that doesn't involve cutting your wrists open. My mouth goes dry. You know about... Shh. That's between you and me, Annie. Annie? Hold on a second, I say. How do you... Penelope's voice makes me jolt. It's getting cold, ladies. Annette, I made the butternut squash soup for you. So you better come down and enjoy it. Xenia stands up. Oh my. I guess we better go to dinner, right? She chuckles lowly. From what I've learned here so far, an impatient Penelope is a dangerous one. Uh, yeah, I stammer, losing my footing as Xenia makes her way towards the door. I guess. You guess a lot, Xenia says, me trailing behind her. I say nothing as we trek down the stairs and sit. The soup looks delicious, but I feel sick to my stomach. I always did, a little bit, after talking to Xenia. But more so this time, and I resist the urge to turn my nose and gag. Xenia is already digging in, shoving spoonfuls of soup in her mouth as Roland looks on curiously. Madeline stares at the wall. Penelope is bustling in the kitchen. And I? I'm just there, I guess. <clears throat> Good soup, Xenia says between the bites. Thanks, Penny says. It's Annette's favorite, so it's a little strange that she's not singing my praises right now. Strange is laced with sarcasm. Maybe some anger. Maybe some concern. Roland turns towards me. Are you feeling all right, Annette? Mm-hmm. I respond. Xenia is sucking on her spoon as she pulls it out of her mouth. Her eyes flicker to Madeline. How's the baby doing in there? Madeline raises a brow at the question. Pretty good, I suppose. There's something between a grimace and a smile on her lips. Her eyes glance down at her belly. Roland smiles broadly, his tar-stained gums pushing against his top lip.
Of course it's pretty good. My first child. After all this time. It's almost too good to be true. Hmm. Xenia replies. Kicking yet? As if on cue, Madeline lurches forward an inch and places a hand to the small of her back. Funny you mention that, she says. I just felt it now. Hadn't felt it before. Roland's face lights up. Penny rolls her eyes. Roland opens his mouth to speak. And then, interesting, Xenia says. Madeline, when did you and Roland agree to have kids? Roland interjects as Madeline looks down at her lap. That's a bit personal, Xenia. I'm just wondering, you know, you usually miscarriages happen within the first three months of a pregnancy. Are you worried about that? Madeline nearly chokes on her soup. I don't. Right, Xenia says. Certainly not something to be worried about, you know. Always good to keep it positive. It's just... It'd be a shame if Roland's first child, the prodigal son, just happened to... Not show up. Christ, Madeline hisses. And Roland is immediately by her side. Madeline, what happened? He goes to meet her gaze. But Madeline's eyes are screwed shut as she grips the table. I mean, Xenia adds, it was bound to happen at some point, you know? Things not going perfectly. Like, what if in a mere moment, the life you are planning for yourself just up and poofs out of nowhere? Could you imagine? I stare across the table at Madeline, whose face is turning white. When she speaks again, it's raspy and hoarse. My, I'm having really bad cramps. I think I'm in labor. Am I in labor? Roland puts his hands over his face. Hi, I'm calling a doctor. With that, he spins on his heels and runs out of the room. I can hear his loafers pitter-patter away as he runs. I go to Madeline and place my hand on her shoulder. Just, um, breathe, okay? Roland's getting a doctor? I didn't mean for it to sound like a question, but it was and Madeline's eyes flickered to me in a panic. Xenia scrapes the side of her bowl with her spoon, unfazed. Imagine that, poor Roland. A smile plays on her lips as she hears him on the phone in the other room, anxiously leaving the town's doctor a worried voicemail. Hey, Madeline. Xenia says. Imagine if you just weren't pregnant. Madeline is as white as a sheet. She lets out a shaky exhale, and I release my hand from her shoulder, holding them helplessly.
in the air. Madeline's mouth drops open before she glances down at her lap and slowly stands, grabbing onto Penny at her other side for support. Blood. So much blood, saturating the seat cushion and dripping onto the floor. Heavy and dark, in some places almost brown. Madeline steps back from the mess and gasps, hands flying to cover her mouth as Penny grasps onto her shoulders and I let out a small yelp. My eyes flicker from the blood-soaked chair to Madeline's blood-stained skirt, the latter wavering at her feet. Penny instantly springs into action, sitting Madeline down in a chair and running to grab her a glass of water, muttering swears under her breath. I sharply inhale as I remember the other woman at the table, my gaze landing on Xenia, who was patting her mouth with a napkin. What? I started, my voice warbling. What did you do? Xenia half smiles. Oh, please, like she wanted that baby to begin with. Her body is hers again. Once she's over the shock, she'll be thanking me. I... I don't know what to say. I hear Roland in the background, gasping, his thin hand slapping against his bony chest as he reaches for his heart. Xenia stands up, and I brace myself, trying to move in somewhat of a protective stance in front of Madeline. Xenia lets out a throaty chuckle as she moves to the pot of soup and scoops herself seconds. Like this was just a normal family dinner. What the fuck happened? Roland screamed, hands flying away from his chest and on top of his balding head. Xenia sits down with her bowl. Honey, imagine if you just couldn't take it. Your baby gone and your oh-so-stunning dining room setup destroyed. Imagine if it was just too much for you. Imagine if your heart just pounded out of your chest. Roland looks down as his hands find his heart, and he begins to choke on his breath. He opens his mouth to speak, but the only thing that comes out is a sputtered gasp. Spit flying from his lips, his legs begin to wobble. In a moment, his knees give out, and he's on the floor, wheezing. Xenia grins, a bit too wide. Imagine your heart is going to explode. You're so distraught. Imagine you're just crying, sobbing even. Tears are running down Roland's face as he stares, his breath staggering with every pathetic inhale. He finally crumples to the ground, shaking. 
Xenia stands up, moves to walk towards him, and I'm grabbing her arm, pulling her back. I don't know why I'm crying. Hell, I don't like the man. Lord knows Penny doesn't, and I have a sneaking suspicion that Madeline isn't his biggest fan either. Xenia turns back to me. What? What do you want? Don't. Don't kill him. Please, Xenia. Xenia shakes my hand from her arm. And only then do I notice that I'm shaking. She looks back towards Roland. Imagine you get up and quit being a fucking baby. You're fine. She barks. I watch as Roland slowly stands grabbing onto the table for support. Madeline seems to be less shell-shocked. She's staring down at her lap. In a strange turn of events, Penny is laughing and Roland says nothing and I feel sick and Xenia says this. Did you make dessert, Penelope? (laughs) Yeah, Penelope says, voice breathy from laughter. Banana bread. All right, let's eat. Xenia finds her seat and sits back down. You too, Roland. The five of us sit around the table as Penny places the banana bread down I love the married life we're going to be a good team the five of us as quiet as a mouse Madeline replies yeah I think so too say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.